do you think maximum occupancy has been reached? Take the stairs. Yes. Yeah. Stop, stop. Take the stairs. Take the stairs. Glorious. We gotta be careful. Anything we do can impact the course of history. You get that? Okay! Okay! I'm monitoring every aspect of this case. Trusting this man is not a good idea. No one bad is ever truly bad. And no one good is ever truly good. This isn't about you. Right. Bonus episode. There's already like seven million broadcasts talking about pop culture and all that. It makes us happy like shooting at a walk rat, but it's all been done before. And we don't want to be a copycat. We're the leftovers picking up the scraps. Drop by the cool kids. It, it, it's a trap. Good it, toss it, good it, taste it. Do we love it? Hey, let's fix it, clean it, race it, let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture, carry over, counterculture, push over, pop culture. Leftover. And we're the uncool kids. What's to say has already been said. Leftover. Pretty sure that the only talent is the band that's singing this. Pop culture leftovers. Hello, this is Randall Park, and you are listening to Pop Culture Leftovers. It's here, the season finale of Loki, season one, and Jake, we did it, man. We watched the whole fucking season, man. Yeah, man, nothing makes six weeks go by faster than one of these Marvel limited series, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, my God. I'm super excited to talk to you. I can't wait to hear your thoughts about the entire season. But we're also joined, uh, we've had Joe here for the most episodes for Loki. I wanted to have him back on for the finale, so welcome, Joe. Oh, so happy to be here to talk about this one, dude. Dude, I'm super happy to have you on this episode to talk about this one. I'm very excited. I, you know, I've loved everything that you've brought in the previous episode, so I really wanted to hear what you thought about the finale. So I'm excited to have you here. And not only do we have Joe Stark from Starkcast, but we also have Dan Ramirez from the Heroes of Noise here to talk about the season finale of Loki. Welcome, Dan. Hey, what's going on, guys? Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about this. <laughs> There's a lot to say. We're gonna, I'm gonna, guys, we're gonna jump into Loki here in a second, but real quick, 
real quick before we do, I actually got a Facebook message uh, from one of our listeners, somebody we've actually had on the podcast before. I'm not going to give his name or anything like that, but um, I, I don't know if this is 100% true. But I did, I kind of want to talk about this right now, because I think if it is true, it's very cool. Um, the, the Facebook message I got, it starts off with a friend of mine just got back from a casting call for what he's very confident is Luke Cage. Sounds like a Luke Cage Iron Fist team up TV show. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hold on. Check this out. Um, I asked him a couple questions and, and things like that, and he said I could go ahead and talk about it on the show. I'm not going to reveal his name. I didn't ask for his friend's name or anything like that, but check this out. He says he's going to try to get, yeah, it's a he. Uh, I'll try to get the code name of the casting call to see if it matches. He said Joe Taslam was there and got the feeling he was already a part of the production in some role. So Joe Taslam, <laughs> Joe Stark, dude. Joe Taslam. I mean, if this is true, if this is true, like, okay, first off, Joe Taslam has been like a fan casting for Namor. Well, it, this show, whatever, you know, it, whatever it is, it sounds like it's going to be a Disney Plus show if this is real. If any of this is real, it's a Disney Plus show. And possibly a Luke Cage slash, you know, um, uh, Iron Fist team up show. I mean, Joe Taslam involved? <laughs> dude. Give me Joe Taslam as Iron Fist. That's what I'm saying, dude. That's I, and that's ex that? <laughs> that's exactly what I said to this person. I said I'll take Joe Taslam as Iron Fist, and they're like, he's like, he was like, don't you think that they're gonna go, you know, like a, like another white guy? And I was like, I was like, I've been asking for an Asian in that role for years. I think it's time. So yeah, and you know, I mean, there was plenty of critiques on on the Iron Fist Netflix series, but that was chief among them. Yeah, is you know, hey, why didn't you just why didn't you fix this? Right. You know, what, why are you giving us a, a white guy that becomes a master of, of, you know, a martial aspect of an Asian culture? It's like, just, just recast it as an Asian guy. And Joe Taslam would be perfect. Well, oh I'm, my gosh. I, I've loved him in everything yeah. I've seen him in, dude. I'm glad. Raid, Raid 2, The Night Comes for Us. Mm -hmm. He's awesome as Sub Zero in, in the new Mortal Kombat. I mean, he was one of the best parts of that movie. Oh, and the, the Fast and Furious movie. Oh, he was so good as that villain in that. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah, this this would be really, really great. Dude, uh, you know, that's the thing. Well, I'm glad that they didn't waste Joe Taslam for the, you know, Netflix series. And if this is true, um, and I'm not saying he is Iron Fist, but they, you know, apparently, according to this rumor, the Joe Taslam was there. And so we might be seeing, <laughs> might be seeing Iron Fist and Luke Cage back, uh, on, on, on TV and this time in the wow. actual MCU. Yeah, that's really cool. One thing I really like about this news, if it's true, is Marvel's going to give us what we want. They're going to give us the two characters together in a series, yeah. interacting together yeah. a lot more. Like, that was one of the big failings of, well, not that the Netflix stuff didn't have some redeeming qualities, but they really shorted us on the uh, Luke Cage Iron Fist team-ups. Yeah, yeah. I love those two together. So, yeah, you get the casting right, man, this could be pretty fucking awesome. And see, that's the thing, Joe, is like, you know, you're talking about how, you know, they should have had uh, an Asian martial artist in the role to begin with. They wouldn't have the problems from this first season if they would have done that. If they would have had a guy that already knew martial arts, they wouldn't have the problem of kind of like this fast tracking this actor to try to learn the choreography. And that way they had to like mask 
how bad this guy was <laughs> exactly. at martial arts. Mm-hmm. And it went, and, and it's it's not his fault. He was fast tracked into that role. Like I do not blame the actor at all. I blame basically like scheduling and the fact that they didn't give this guy a chance to train. Like, what did we find out recently? We, you know, Bob Odenkirk when he did that Nobody movie had been training for six years to do what he did in that Nobody movie, and this actor, you know, that played Iron Fist, Danny Rand, had it felt like weeks, you know. So yeah, yeah, he just he walked onto the set. Just walked onto the set. He yeah. just walked onto the set. And they said, yeah, just do these moves. It mm-hmm. didn't seem very legit at all. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully this is true, man. That would be, dude, we're getting Shang-Chi. Imagine if we had more martial arts, uh, just on an, like an MCU Disney plus show every week, you know, six, seven, eight episodes. Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The martial arts genre seems like it would really work for the weekly TV show format. Yeah, yeah. Even better than a movie works. Right, unless it's Wu Assassins on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't gotten to that one, but I'm, I'm, like, uh, I'm determined to, to make it through it regardless. I, I love Eco UAs too, dude, but I could only do two episodes of Wu Assassins. Oh, oh, geez, it was that bad. Oh, yes, no. yes, yes. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it should be called whoop de doo assassins because I don't give a fuck. Who assassins? <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. Let's talk about the, the finale here for Loki. Uh, it was titled for all, t- uh, for all time always, which is basically kind of like the, the credo, the slogan for, uh, the TVA. This one's directed by Kate Heron, uh, and it's written by Mike, Michael Waldron, the uh, showrunner, and Eric Martin. Uh, both of these guys. Eric Martin also from Rick and Morty. I also want to point out that uh, Ant-Man Quantumania, that's coming out in February of 2023, was written by Jeff Loveness from, guess what, Rick and Morty. Wow. Yeah. Who'd have thought that they'd get all these types of episodes from Rick and Morty writers? I think it's perfect. And I I never would have thought it, Joe. But, like, I think it's perfect because, like, we're dealing with, like, this weird... I feel like Rick and Morty is inspired by, like, time travel and Back to the Future and Doctor Who and all this stuff. And then you just mix in, like, the crude Dan Harmon and Justin Roiland humor, which I think is, like, it's more than just crude. It's very smartly written. But, like, when you... When you, when you get those kind of elements and then you can get, like, don't just go to like Doctor Who writers. Don't, you know, don't go to Stephen Moffat. Don't go to like, go, get the guys that are doing it in like a funny comical way and doing it really, really well consistently on Rick and Morty. And then just have them like take their science fiction and time travel, you know, stories that they use in, in that universe and then throw them into the MCU and then just tone it down on the raunch a little bit and, you know, pump up the humor too. And I mean, I think that, I think like it was, I don't know what Kevin Feige's doing over there, but he fucking just nailed it when it, when it comes to like getting the right people involved in these projects down to Kate Heron, who like went in there, I guess with like this incredible pitch and she's just a huge Tom Hiddleston, Loki fangirl. And so I love, I love all this stuff, like all the choices that they've made this season, as far as like the creatives behind this, I just think they've knocked it out of the fucking park. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. They, all three of the TV series, they really picked the right creative people with the right passion behind the project. 
All right, guys. It's all Kang. It's all fucking Kang. <laughs> I can't believe it, man. Like, that, that, like, in my wildest dreams, that was what I wanted. But I was so conditioned by the previous two shows to be like, that's not what they're going to give us. And I'm just so tickled that that's what they did. I, it, uh, and Kevin Feige even told us, and you even pointed that out to me. Uh-huh. Kevin Feige said that this is going to be the one that changes everything. And yeah. I was still being a disbeliever, man. I thought it was Joe Casada bullshit, you know? Um, <laughs> <laughs> here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, that I do, I want to talk about the, yes, Kang was my first theory that I came up with on, on, on PCL. And then, and then I, then I, I backtracked and I was like, no, it's Loki. They're not going to do that. They, the whole Mephisto thing didn't pan out for us, blah, blah, blah. What I'm loving is, and I'm not going to name any names, but some other, like, you know, people that are involved with, like, you know, doing these Loki shows and, and, uh, recaps and videos and everything. They'll, they'll throw every fucking, uh, theory out there and not really 100% plant their flag in one of them. And then, you know, so they're already saying, oh, it could be another Loki. Oh, you know, Mobius could be a Loki. Oh, it could be Kang. And then all of a sudden we find out in the final episode, it's all Kang. And then they're like, we were right. We were right. <laughs> Here's the thing. Geniuses. I came up with the whole Kang thing, too, in the first episode. But I planted my flag that it was a Loki all along. It was Loki all along. And guess what? I'm fucking wrong. So I that's the flag I planted and that's I I'm I fucked up. I was wrong and you know what? I'm glad I was wrong because I really uh I really got a kick out of the beginning of this episode with the big reveal. I, I, of course I want to get into all that, but I do want to kind of start off with some of the things that we imagery and and, and the sounds that we hear at the beginning of this episode. And I'm going to have us all rate this one, but we're going to rate it at the end. So if you're waiting to hear our ratings, we're going to rate it at the end. And then we're also going to rate the overall season for Loki at the end. But I want to talk about the beginning of the episode. We hear uh, the song, It's Been a Long, Long Time, which we've heard in the MCU before, Captain America movies. And then most recently in Endgame, it's what you know, Captain America and Peggy Carter were dancing to. And then we start to hear a ton of voices throughout the MCU and uh, also the real world itself. And I want to go over, you know, we hear like the repulsor uh, Ray from Iron Man suit. And we hear a, a bunch of different, you know, we hear Wakanda forever and, and all these different voices, you know, that, that we've uh, uh, and, and sayings and things like that, that we, we've heard in the MCU. Then it starts to get into like real world stuff itself. We hear, actual quotes from like historical figures through time and we get a quote from british philosopher alan watts and he says we think of a time we think of time as a one-way motion and this quote is from his lecture time and the way it changes so basically saying like we see time very linear and so it's like it like in a straight line so there's a you know it's, it's we see it very linear but for someone like like he who remains, who in this episode, I might call him Kang. I might call him a mortis. I might call him he who remains, but you'll know who I'm talking about. But Kang is basically like a nexus being who can see all of time at once. And I, Oh God, Joe, I'm, I'm going to need your help here later when we start talking about all this time shit. Cause it is <laughs> and the, and this whole Kang origin story. It is, it is insane and you can 
take it so many different ways. And I think if you think too hard on it, you can go down some crazy rabbit holes and get lost. Um, yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> you would agree. Uh, we hear voices from history. Uh, Neil Armstrong, one, st- small, one small step for man. Um, we hear... Uh, I know uh, we hear Nelson Mandela, who says, uh, we have fought for the right to experience peace. Um, and then we hear, I will rise from uh, Maya Angelou, who's reading from her poem, and still I rise. And if if you read that poem, it says, you may, you may write me down in history with your bitter, twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still, like dust, I'll rise. And I want to talk about that poem a little bit later. I think it's pretty important. We will get back to that. I, but I, I think it's really interesting. All this stuff at the beginning. I don't think that they just kind of like threw it in there willy nilly. I think all this stuff means something. There's, there, I mean, we've seen the meaning of different things in the MCU, like colors and shit like that, and like how it represents a certain character, uh, how it re- represents Wait, magic. Make sure. What's that? We lost you, Brian. You like went completely silent for maybe 10 to 15 seconds. I'm back. When you started explaining how you felt. Okay. All right. I, I was explaining. Did you guys hear what I was? Let me pause. All right. Yeah, we're back. Sorry about that. Had a technical difficulty and we are good to go now. Um, I'm going to get back to that poem. You guys heard the poem, but I'll get back to the poem here in a little bit. I do want to talk about like some of the things that we do see visually. Um, actually just one thing right now. Did you guys notice when we're, when they're, uh, the camera's zooming across the universe, we see a satellite and then right after the satellite, we see a ship that flies into the screen. Yeah. Okay. Um, that is a ship that we have not seen before. It's nothing that we've seen in the MCU. Um, could that be a tease of the Fantastic Four? Oh, I like that idea a lot. Yeah, I like that idea. Yeah. I would not be surprised whatsoever. This this MCU just continues to fucking blow my mind. So why not? Yeah, I... <laughs> we've been introduced to so many cosmic things lately. I mean, yeah, could it be like a Kree warship, or could it be some scrolls, or would it have something to do with like a shield? It doesn't type installation even. Those just are very exciting answers. Yeah. So it's like, why would they bother? And it doesn't yeah. look like it's based off of like any Kree warship or anything like that. It looks very. It looks like nothing we've seen in the MCU before. So I, I don't know. Like a lot of people are speculating that it could be, you know, a, a tease of the Fantastic Four out in space. Um, you know, and, and we know that Kang is, is a descendant of Reed Richards from the future. So, um, but I'm going to, we're going to get back to some of that imagery later. I do want to talk about a little about the Citadel. So we get to the Citadel, which is, you know, um, on, uh, what, what do they call it? Like it's, it's past, it's at the end of time. And, um, Joe, remember we talked about those gold cracks in the Citadel that we saw, you know, in like some of the images that hadn't been, you know, that had been released for the trailer and stuff like that. But we were trying to figure out like these gold cracks. Um, all I can say, like, and I actually almost brought this up because it did remind me of Kylo Ren's mask. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And I almost brought it up in the last episode, but I didn't know, like, I mean, I, I just was like, why am I going to be talking about Kylo Ren's 
mask. <laughs> but it's it's the art. It's a Japanese art called kintsugi, and it's 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 repairing broken pottery by mending the areas of breakage with lacquer dusted or mixed with powdered gold, silver, or platinum. And so, um, and what's a couple things I want to point out here is that we see all that gold in in the citadel. But did you notice when he used his like time device where he showed like the 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 origin story and we kind of like it's almost like like the clay little figures statues. yeah little yeah, statues yeah. that come to like they look the exact same way they had the gold cracks in them as well mm-hmm. I didn't know if you guys noticed that or not so I was just I didn't notice the cracks yeah. in the little figures yeah yeah it looks exactly like the same structure of the citadel. Um, and it probably is the same like structure, the same material. Yeah, yeah. It does look like it. I actually paused that part just. I wanted to see like the close up, you know, the detailing of the little statues. And um, I don't know if this is a spoiler or not, but it, am I safe in saying that uh, it resembled more of like the uh, Chuer Kang form that people are wanting? I don't know if you guys saw that or not, but I think you could see the helmet when they were talking about all the battles, the war that was going on, and they were like attacking each other. There was like that, full, you know, the I don't know what it's called, but it's like Kang's garb that he wears. Right, yeah. His armor. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Well, the king that we see at the end, the statue we see at the end, has the exact same costume from, like, the comics exactly. as well. Um, I don't know, as far as, like, the Citadel is concerned, it might have been damaged during the Multiversal War. And that was my thought, too, is that, that it, it had been blasted apart during the war, and then, he, and then he who remains put it back together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, in a weird way, kind of, like, calls back to that Nelson Mandela quote, like, we have fought for the right to experience peace. Like, Kang believing he is the savior that ended the war and then rebuilt everything from destruction and brought peace. But in a, in a more, I guess in another way to look at this is like, I think the gold cracks in it represents that it's still a dictatorship. Like, gold is a symbol of wealth and power. And like these cracks can also, you know, like just represent that this is a dictatorship and that, you know, like for as much as like he's pumping himself up in this episode is like the one who's kind of like brought peace. He's, he's stolen, you know, the free will from so many people. Um, and the cracks can also represent, like, the many branches that have broken off from the sacred timeline as well. There's a lot of different ways to kind of, like, look at that. Um, I also want to point out uh, another thing about the Citadel that I noticed. The light tower at the top of the Citadel that glows, it looks like one of the glowing orange pruning sticks that we see the the hunters and the Minutemen use. Hmm, that I did not notice. Yeah. Yeah. Good catch. That tower at the top, it's like that, that same orange glow, and it really looks like a, like the end of a pruning stick. Um, I wonder if it's so like any wandering asteroids get too close, they just get pruned to <laughs> to Eliath. <laughs> uh, Joe. That's really practical. <laughs> pruning stick, windshield wipers. I think, I think Joe's joking. I hope you're joking, Joe. <laughs> I think you made a retcon. It's a joke. <laughs> I'm starting to like it, though. <laughs> um, notice that, like, inside the Citadel, when when Loki and Sylvie are making their way through the Citadel, there's four statues of Timekeepers, but one is destroyed. Oh. 
I did not notice that either. Yeah, there's three that are standing, but there's one on the ground, and it's totally destroyed. Someone got smacked down. So were the timekeepers at one time, were like, okay, what's weird about this is like, (laughs) maybe this is just a crazy theory. Were the timekeepers at one time like, were there, like, he's called He Who Remains. Were, was there a Council of Kings at one time? I had that thought, too, is what if there really were three timekeepers at one point, and then He Who Remains supplanted them, replaced them with, you know, Chuck E. Cheese animatronics, and, you know, that was part of the story. I kept thinking, like, the, the one that was destroyed might have been, like, the most evil of them, you know, like, and that's Kang the Conqueror or something. I don't know. That makes a it lot could of have sense, gone though. either way. It could have been even. It could have been the best one, the one that wouldn't like you know go the extra mile to do what they had to do to preserve themselves. I had I had when I was doing research on this, I had read that an old fan, um, uh, Fantastic Four storyline, there was a fourth timekeeper that had helped them out during some ancient Egypt battle, and then was like um, he basically told them things from the future to help them win. Yeah, and then he was, like, banished or killed as a result. Right? Something like that? Yeah. 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 Could these structures be a part of, like, the story that he's telling where he said that at one point in time they all found a way to communicate with each other and help each other better their respective universes? A hundred percent. There might have been, like, some kind of council at that time. A hundred. Yeah, I I agree with Brian. I think that that fourth one has to do with the war. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. I think that there's, there might have been a council of the kings and like, you know, and then this story just kind of like evolved into like this timekeeper story that you tell the TBA, you know, (laughs) kind of like telling kids that there's a Santa Claus, you know. (laughs) I know Hickman did a lot of storylines like that where there were councils of the same characters. I know there was a big deal he did with Reed Richards. Yes. The same. Well, well, think about this in the, um, in the Rick and Morty show, there's like the council of the Ricks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we get introduced Miss Minutes is here um, in the Citadel. <laughs> and Was that a jump scare for anybody else? It, it was a jump scare for me. I was sitting way too close to the TV, and it was like a, <laughs> that part was like a fucking horror movie to me. I, I gasped out loud. <laughs> I did too, and then I immediately laughed. <laughs> yeah. Of all things to make me jump so hard, but that, it really got me. It's basically, dude, that's proof that jumps, jump scares are super cheap. (laughs) But also. So much anticipation to see what was going to come next. And it was, they did it so well, like with the speed that they had around my TV and how large she was. But they're super effective. I like a good jump scare, man. I really do. I'm not going to lie. When they're good, they're good. Miss Minutes is a bit creepy. There's definitely a creepy element to the character. Yeah, I, oh yeah, yeah. Definitely, I don't, there's something, yeah, there's something super weird about her. Did you notice, like, after this whole interaction, I want to talk about the interaction, but after this whole interaction, when she shows up to Renslayer, and she's like, sorry, I'm late. And so basically, it's like, she can't be in two places at one time. It's not like a computer program that everybody has that they can just summon multiple Miss Minutes. Like, she's only in one place at one time. It's so fucking bizarre. I love that. I love that. And I I love that that was kind of when you realized as an audience who Miss Minutes was working for. It it wasn't Renslayer's little puppet. It was a completely different thing going on. Yeah. Well, at one time I kept, you know, I had the, the, the theory that she was the mouthpiece for who is ever in charge of the TVA. She's basically like her own separate entity, 
It's so well, bizarre. You you called by the second episode that she was very much a, a living, alive, like, entity like that. Yeah. From, like, Loki trying to actually, like, poke at her while he was doing his studies and everything and the sound effects that were used. Yeah. Like, you, were, you were locked onto that right away, and that definitely ended up being correct. Yeah, yeah. We get, uh, so she meets them in the Citadel and scares the shit out of Jake and Joe. And then <laughs> she basically gives them an offer, you know, that you can, she says like, you know, you can return to your timeline and return together and you get to defeat the Avengers and you get to kill Thanos. And this is like when we hear a, like a score from the Thor movies, uh, you know, it's like that, that, violin that you hear and i think it like happens in like the 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 moments where like frigga dies or odin dies and it's it's basically telling us that you know loki in this moment even though you know we find out in the episode he's not going to do it like um he's not going to take that offer like he's definitely thinking about saving asgard right i mean without a doubt yeah it's destroyed. He's thinking about saving Asgard. So he could, with this power, he could, if they take this deal, he can stop Ragnarok from happening. And you can tell he's doing some serious thinking about it, too. Mm-hmm. Just a quick Super mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, an elevator opens up. And I thought it was pretty cool that, again, they're using elevators. We just left the TVA, which has got its own elevator. And now there's also an elevator in the Citadel. And I don't know about you, but when I saw Jonathan Major sitting there, I was like, no fucking way. And it was like <laughs> right at the beginning of the episode. And I'm just like, holy, there's no dancing around this shit. We don't have to wait for a fucking post credit scene. It is right here up front at the, be- we are, they are front loading this episode with Jonathan Majors. I was like, holy shit. Yeah, I went, oh, shit, just out loud as soon as they showed it. I had the same thought. I was like, I can't believe this is basically happening in the cold open. <laughs> yeah, it was so early in the episode. It, it, yeah, it, Immediately it was like, well, there goes the Loki theory. <laughs> They're really doing this. <laughs> like, damn, I'm, I'm really going to have to, like, start reading Secret Wars now. <laughs> oh, that's where we're going. Dan, were you, were you just like... Because you knew that Jonathan Majors was cast as Kang. What? Oh yeah, yeah. I just liked it because, as the guy here that really doesn't read the comics and and is you know short on speculation, I liked it because I I feel like, like I felt like it was coming. But what was great about it, like you said, it wasn't like in the end credits or something. Right when I saw Jonathan Majors, I'm like, oh great. So this is how the show is going to go from here on out. We're going to get the full on explanation of Kang. And yeah. I'm actually just learning. Like I know who Kang is. I've seen Kang in comics for years and things like that. But this is all new to me, man. So I was really glad that they did that. I felt fortunate because you do get some explanation in this, as we're going to talk about, you know, and um, then my brain started working like, OK, well, variants and such, which I won't go into just yet. But um, I was I was thoroughly excited because I felt like that was the payoff. And I kind of had a feeling like, OK, well, if we're getting this, are we really going to get a major, you know, end credit scene? Because this is a big one, right? I mean, I would I would think you guys would agree on that, that this is a pretty big fucking step for the mcu this is so, huge this is a yeah, huge step yeah, for a disney it. this is a huge step for a disney plus show to introduce yeah, for sure. who i think who i think is going to be our main villain going through phase four 
phase five and possibly phase six. He, I think this is Thanos level, guys. I think this is Thanos level before we get to Doctor Doom. I think we're putting Doctor Doom on the back burner. I think when the Fantastic Four get introduced, they're probably going to be dealing uh, with with uh, the Kangs. And uh, I think I think Doctor Doom will come later, Jake. No, I 100% agree. And not only that, I would really like Dr. Doom to be introduced by him being the one to defeat Kang after Kang being the main villain for two to three phases, too. I, <laughs> that would be very much in tune with the comics and would really amp him up as a Billy Badass right away in, like, his first appearance. And yeah. Here's the guy taking down Kang, you know, <laughs> siphoning all his fucking powers now. It's Dr. Doom. That would be incredible. Um, in the comics, so he's introduced to us as, uh, Jonathan Majors is introduced to us as He Who Remains. Um, in the comics, He Who Remains was the last TVA agent who created the Timekeepers and then sent them back in time to create the TVA, which is, Joe, I know that is fucking you up right now. That is a, that is a bootstrap paradox and I know, those fuck with me too, dude. I love them. Uh, they're, they're so much fun to like turn over in, in your mind. And I, I love stories that can do it well. And, and I feel like Loki has done it very well yeah. with what they put forth in this. Yeah. I love bootstrap paradoxes. If you don't know, what that, it's a theoretical paradox of time travel that occurs when an object or piece of information sent back in time becomes trapped within an infinite cause effect loop in which the item no longer has a discernible point of origin and is said to be uncaused or self-created. So, uh, yeah, the bootstrap paradox has always fucked me up. Um, <laughs> it's a literal which John came first. Connor. <laughs> John Connor, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so when we first see um, He Who Remains, he's eating an apple. Um, and as he's, you know, later in the episode, as he's, like, tempting Sylvie and Loki with with basically taking over, you know, the, the sacred timeline and the TVA and running everything. I, I just felt like it just felt like the biblical story of Adam and Eve with a serpent tempted Eve. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, it, and especially with, with this role that we're seeing Jonathan majors play in this episode is this, you know, bringer of knowledge. And then he's literally the entire time he's talking with them, eating an apple, this symbol. And, and he refers uh, to himself. He refers to himself at one time as the devil. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know just overall in this in this show the amount of biblical references we've gotten from episode 1 on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's all been in there and you know very much in a his dark materials, you know, kill god type way as well. Yeah. Which uh, really pans out <laughs> in this episode. What were you saying, Jack? Jake, I've seen really polarizing opinions on uh, Jonathan Major's performance too, but I, for one, just absolutely loved it. I mean, just the right amount of quirk. Um, we know he's going to be playing all different kinds of versions of this character, mm-hmm. so I mean, it's just such a like bone to sink your mouth into. Like, what's each different version going to be like? But yeah, I didn't think it was overacting by any means. I've seen that complaint being thrown around a lot by people. I don't think it was overacting either. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought he did a fantastic job. I, you got to understand, like, he's a little eccentric and weird because he's been basically by himself locked up in the Citadel and just, I mean... Dude's got some company. He's excited. Yeah. 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 He's sure. lived a million lifetimes. You know, how 
how weird would that be? A million lifetimes, and then also at the end of it to be now stepping into territory where don't know what's going on. Yeah, like, yeah, he's he's definitely earned the right to be weird. Right. <laughs> Behind well, Tom Cruise, at certain parts, but I didn't think it was like an overacting. Thing. Uh, he didn't. He, he jumped up on the table, not yeah, a I'm couch. Just, I'm just I'm just joking. Yeah, but I mean. I don't think it was an overacting. I liked it because I liked it even more once he explained about the variants. And so it makes sense that you're going to have a lot of different. I mean, we just yeah. watched a whole series about this. Right. You know, so yeah. it made a lot of sense. And I, I liked it. Yeah. Uh, behind Kang, there are these symbols and um, they're called Triskelions. And uh, I, I sent you guys that, you know, I told you guys we'd be talking about Triskelions on the episode. And it's a symbol. It's a symbol with three branches all in a spiral. And uh, I, I found out that what that it's it, what the Triskelion means um, is uh, I went to, I went to I went to a Celtic website Blarney.com and uh, it says firstly the Triskel can be thought to represent motion as all three arms are positioned to make it appear as if it is moving outwards from its center movement or motion is believed to signify energies and particularly. In particular, within this Celtic symbol, the motion of action, cycles, progress, revolution, and competition. Secondly, and the more challenging area for symbolists is the exact symbolic significance of the three arms of the Triskel. This can differ dependent on the era, culture, mythology, and history, which is why there are so many variations as to what these three extensions in the triple spiral symbol mean. Some of these connotations uh, include life, death, rebirth, spirit, mind, body, mother, father, child, past, present, future, power, intellect, love, and creation, preservation, destruction, to name but a few. So maybe if we, if we look at, you know, what we're seeing here in this episode, uh, and we're trying to find out what's the Triskelion here, maybe if we can look at it as Kang, Loki, and Sylvie. Maybe, or we can take it even further and say that Kang is, I don't know, Kang is creation, Loki is preservation, and Sylvie is destruction? I like that a lot too. It's so vague. It needs so many different trifectas. Well, I mean, I'm if, looking this up too. if you're looking at creation, preservation, destruction, Kang created the TVA and created everything within this universe to basically preserve this particular universe. Loki is trying to then also preserve it. And then Sylvie's trying to tear it all down and kill it and destroy it. So I don't know. Just, I thought that was interesting. I don't yeah, know I, if you're going to go there or not. Sorry, Joe. Go no, ahead. Go ahead. Well, <laughs> I, I'm curious because when you sent that to me, I looked it up and naturally I'm going to go to Scallion MCU. So are, do you plan on talking about like how it's, Part of the what is it? The original three official headquarters for Shield. Uh, that's a different Triskelion. That's, <laughs> that's, tri okay. that's the Triascalon or something like that. That's something completely different. Yeah. Oh, sorry, my bad. My no bad. worries, no worries. I thought you were going to talk about in in Thor Ragnarok. Doctor Strange at one point creates a portal, and for a moment when he uses the magic to create a portal, it's the portal that he sends um, um, Loki and. Uh, Thor through, I think, to take them to New Asgard to meet Odin. Um, the magic he uses at one moment, it's just for a moment, it turns into the Norse Triskelion symbol. So we've seen this, this symbol in Marvel before, but it was the Norse 
version. And I think with that, maybe it was like just foreshadowing, you know, Odin's children, Thor, Loki, and Hela. So, but I thought that was cool. But yeah, go ahead, Joe. I I think with it in this one, I was looking at it in, in terms of the, the birth, death, rebirth in terms of this whole timeline. Because the, the way that he who remains kind of lays this out saying, you know, either way, this is going to keep going. Yeah. You know, if, if, if you kill me in an, in an all out war breaks out, eventually I'm going to be sitting right here in this seat again. And when he says, see you soon at the end, he's not talking about himself. He's talking about the variant version you don't want to fucking meet. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, Hey, you just, you know, you just dumped everything out again. And eventually one of me is going to win and going to be sitting in this exact seat again. I also want to point out, uh, in episode, was it episode four, Jake, at the end of that one? Or is it five where we hear see you soon for the first time? I believe it was, uh, it was four. It was four. It was the end of four. Yeah. Where the timekeepers get killed. Yeah. When we hear see you soon. I don't know if this is the last time we're going to hear a Kang say that. Yeah. I feel like that's Kang's like catchphrase at this point. <laughs> See you that's soon. The, that's the, I've got an uncomfortable or a bad feeling about this yeah. gang, you know? <laughs> Honestly, I think we were, I, we were one of the first people to talk about that. I had not seen anyone talking about See You Soon up until like maybe a few days ago or something. We were one of the first. So, um, let's see here. Oh yeah, uh, we get, um, yeah, we get Jonathan Majors. I just want to talk about that symbol. Um, there's the scene where he's basically showing them documentation of everything that he knows that's going to happen. Like, I, you know that, that the the big paperwork that he showed, and they're like, "Oh, that's a parlor trick of like everything that they've said." Yeah, it was a real callback to the first episode too. Yeah, I mean, like just the old school typed out paper with what they were saying on it. And he's reiterating the fact that basically, like, nothing has been free will. It's all been determined by by Kang, this Kang. And so um, I want to look at that poem again. I, I talked about the poem by Maya, uh, Maya Angelou, and it says, You may write me down in history with your bitter, twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still, like dust, I'll rise. So when you break that down... Um, you may write me down in history with your bitter twisted lies. That sounds like everyone who's kind of like been manipulated and has had their free will taken away by uh, Kang and the creation of the TBA. And the next part reads, you may trod me in the very dirt, but still like dust, I'll rise. So if you're the heroes in this story and you want your free will, you can rise against the dictatorship of Kang and get what's rightfully yours. Or you can choose another path and side yourself with the dictator, in this case, Kang, and get whatever scraps they leave behind. Because only one person has free will in a dictatorship, and that's the dictator themselves. And I think, like, like that's Renslayer's, Ravona Renslayer's big takeaway from all this. Like, she says to Mobius when they're talking in the office, only one person gets free will, the one in charge. And then, and Kang even says this to Mobius and Sylvie when he talks about, he says, uh, stifling order or cataclysmic chaos. You may hate the dictator, but something far worse 
is going to fill that void if you depose to. So I, I want to talk about Ravona, um, and that whole, that whole thing, like it's, it seems like she's chasing free will, but on the flip side, she's like, I don't think, she, I, I don't think she's going about it the right way. She, she gets the documentation. She gets like the files that she wants. And then she's got a mission. She's off to go somewhere. And I feel like she's just off to find the version of Kang that we haven't been introduced to yet. The evil one. And I think she, she's off to find the, the proof that she needs to, to satisfy kind of the moral dilemma that she found herself in. That, that she believes so much in the TVA that, you know, without thought, she sacrificed this friendship that she had with Mobius, you know, a friendship that lasted eons, apparently. And she's saying, you know, I'm twisting this around saying this is all on you, Mobius. And, and now I have to go out here and find, you know, because we don't know exactly what she was given in those files. But if she's going out and looking for something and I, I feel like she's looking for first something that for her belief to be founded in and that, you know, she's eventually going to find some version of Kang Mm -hmm. that, you know, she can become, you know, the, the right hand of maybe a hundred percent, just like in the comics, kind of like, you know, she was the love interest in the comics. And I think like, it probably won't be a love interest here. You know, like when we look at Thanos and the relationship he had with death in the comics that didn't play out in the movies. Um, and it probably won't play out here with Kang and Renslayer, but I think she'll definitely find her way to like, you know, Kang the conqueror. Yes. I, I think for sure we're going to see her pop up in future MCU properties as a villain. How did you feel about this payoff? Um, and I don't even know if I want to call it a payoff yet. I want to know what you guys think about it. We saw, um, you know, Hunter uh, B-15 goes into Renslayer's past as a teacher in Fremont, Ohio. She's the she's a teacher at the Franklin D. Roosevelt School, and then she's taken back to 2018. And that's the year of the snap. I just want to throw that out there. And this is where we find out that, you know, this is where the Franklin D. Roosevelt pen came from. Um, I thought this was... I don't know. I wasn't really satisfied with this, to be quite honest with you, that she was the teacher. It just stood out to me. Why was Mobius the one looking at this pen like it was so odd? And I feel like they just wrote that in there as misdirection. Um, what? I felt that same way. It was just very bizarre. The way the mystery of the pen had been presented to us. Yeah. Yeah. What would Mobius even give a shit? Was he noticing the way Renslayer was acting towards it? The, the camera or the writing never really gave us that kind of, you know, notion. So, yeah, I agree. It felt like a last minute loose end tie up. One of the very few kind of sloppy moments in the episode. It just yeah. it, it didn't work. Go ahead, Joe. It didn't work for me. I I a hundred percent agree with that. I, I in my notes I have this written down as the TVA plot is a hanging thread. That that I I feel like they yada yadded past a lot of stuff. Yeah. And because I mean, how how did how did they jump from this pen that has a high school's name on it to knowing the exact date that they need to go there 
for for this to happen. And I, and I feel like those beats were probably there in the script. They might have even been been filmed, mm. but they probably just ended up on the cutting room floor. Um, uh, it, at the end of the day, it doesn't bother me too much because I know we're getting a second season. So right. I feel like some of this stuff that might feel like hanging threads right now, it, they might pay off later in season two. Like, you know, like I, like I'm among the crowd that I wanted to see Mobius on a jet ski. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and that didn't pan out. But going into this second season, you know, I mean, Loki's going to be now armed with this knowledge of. You know, hey Mobius, I know you. I, I here's something deeply personal I know about you. Right. You know that 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 sort of stuff. So we might see that pay off. But but in terms of what we saw with Renslayer here, I feel like that's a lot of hanging threads that I I don't. You know, maybe if they explore more of her character and more of her past in the future, mm-hmm. in these these next episodes, maybe that'll pan out more. But it, it seems like her path is more on a future arc than than dipping into the past, like. Her leaving the TVA almost felt like a her severing ties with the past, mm-hmm. and 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 I kind of feel that that those water rings that were on the table that we all had a lot of feelings about, yeah. I think in the end that those were only a device to be used exactly as we saw in this episode for her to look at them after the fact when she's thinking, you know, I've lost my friend Mobius, you know, I'm looking at these water rings, they make me think of him, I'm sad. I think that's all it was for. I don't know if there was a deeper meaning behind that but that could also just be the way that i'm you know <laughs> absolving my yeah my, the, the, you know absolving that that rough spot of i don't want this to be a hanging thread we just thought maybe it was more than it was the deeper meaning that i've been like reading on reddit and i've seen like you know uh, speculated by others online is that the rings are how many times that they've gone through kind of like this loop of like the you know the end of the TVA and how it started over and over again and it's just like symbolizing kind of like in the matrix how like they had gone through like six iterations of like you know there'd been previous yeah, yeah it'd been done six times and so like this is like and I'm not buying into that I I I, I think that they, I I I think that's too much to, to explain <laughs> but then again I'm I don't, I don't buy it either, either. Go ahead, Jake. Sense. It would mean that the variant Kang has been defeated X amount of times to create X amount of rings on the coffee table. I, I'm pretty sure this is the first time in this timeline that has ever happened. I think so, too. I, th- I agree with you. I do agree with you, 100%. Yes, I agree with that. Yeah. So I, and I, I lean towards Joe. At the end of the day, they, they were just a symbolic plot reminder to Renslayer about what she had lost and you know just a, a motivation for her to want to go forward and justify her decisions as good decisions just to kind of make herself feel better yeah. about what part she played in all of the TVA stuff right yeah um, I, w- I want to jump into the he who remains origin story that Jonathan Majors details in this episode so basically there was a, a version of him, a variant of him in the 31st century that discovered the multiverse and all these different realities at once. And this next part, it kind of reminded me of the show Counterpart on Stars with J.K. Simmons. I, I used to rave about this show on past episodes of PCL. I, I love this show. Like, so anyway, in, in this episode, we find out that, that the Kangs kind of like would work together. And, 
you know, trade technologies and try to better each of their worlds. And, and on counterpart, there's like this bridge between two time streams that was discovered. And up until that point, both worlds had the exact same history. But as people traveled through the bridge from like one world to the other world, things started to change. And in, in these different timelines, it kind of like branched off into like two different timelines and like, different histories were created in two different worlds that at one time they mirrored each other and were completely the same. But once started, people started traveling through like the bridge between the worlds, things started to change. So like one timeline had better technology than the other. There was a virus that broke out in one and a lot of people died. And, and then both worlds started like competing with each other and were very secretive with one another. There was like one world that was still using like flip phones and then like another world that had like iPhones and all that shit. So it was, it was wild, uh, to watch that show. It got canceled after two seasons, which is a thing that stars does, but I fucking loved counterpart and I thought it was fantastic. And this kind of reminded me of counterpart with like these different Kangs going into like, you know, the different worlds and stuff like that and trying to better each other. But then there were, there was certain Kangs that, uh, basically found, took this as a way to enter different worlds and conquer them. And, you know, I basically kind of teasing like the Kang that we're going to be introduced to, I think in, in definitely in quantum mania. Um, so, he who remains is showing us like Dan. What did you call? What did you? I don't know what to call it. What is that? That little that little clay thing that he's doing. The little models, you know, it's just little little fucking statues. Or something. <laughs> I don't really know. You know, it kind of reminded me of like. A, I thought you had a more thing. eloquent name for it, and, and I I was wrong. <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry. I got nothing to offer. <laughs> no statues. Is epoxy. There you go. That sounds fancy. Yeah. So, yeah. So basically he's showing us how things came to be and he shows us the multiverse and when he's showing us the multiverse, he's actually showing it as a group of flat circles that are stacked on, on each other. So there's a theory that fourth dimensional beings can see all of time at once as a flat circle. Like, like when you're watching a movie we, you know, we just watch it from start to finish, but the fourth dimensional being can see the entire movie reel all at once. And when you look at the actual timeline in the episode, like at the beginning of the episode, when we zoom in and like towards the end of the episode, when they zoom in on that physical fucking ring that we're looking at, it's a, it's not, it's not a time stream. It's a ring. It's a ring. And it represents like what we saw these statues doing. It's, it's a ring. And, and 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 so, I I have a point here. I swear I do. I swear I do. Flat Earthers are eating this shit. Fuck up. off! Fuck off! <laughs> <laughs> I have a point. I swear I'm going to get to a point with all of this fourth dimensional flat circle shit. I swear I have a point with it. But he also goes on to say, like, um, uh, he talked about how, like, how. You know, this, this Kang invented all their tech that they use within the TVA, like the time twisters that we see, the time set recharges, um, those, um, pruning batons that, uh, that the TVA use. It's all, uh, created by, by Kang and then shared through all the different, this technology shared through all the different worlds. Um, we find out that the Kang, the he who remains Kang that were introduced here with Jonathan Majors, um, after this multiversal war started and all the Kangs started to battle each other, 
Um, he found a way, he found a Lyoth and he found a way to weaponize a Lyoth. And that's what stopped the multiversal war is after he weaponized a Lyoth. And then he was able to, you know, start, uh, basically just start pruning, um, these Nexus events and then cape, kept our timeline sacred, kept it, um, uh, from being exposed to the other Kangs that, that would probably want to, to destroy our world, conquer our world. Um, this is like later in the episode, this is when he offers Sylvie and Loki control of the TVA. And it reminded me of, and his performance reminded me a lot of Willy Wonka. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. 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 No, go ahead, Dan. No, I just, that's totally the vibe it gave me. He's talking about how I'm tired and I've been doing this forever and I find, I need to find the right person to carry this on. And that comes in the form of YouTube. You know, it was just very, very Wonka-esque, that whole part. I loved it. And this, I, Miss Minutes is orange like an Oompa Loompa. No, I'm kidding. That's, that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fucking deep. I like that just because, you know, I, this particular version of Kang, or yeah. he who remained. Yeah. Was the tired guy. He's the one that says, I've lived a million lives or whatever. And, you know, and he, but it, in a way, it felt like it was more of a test to me. Like, I, I think he wanted to see what they were about because he was like, okay, you can, you can, you know, I can give you all of this. And Miss Minutes is, is definitely reinforcing that about this life that they can live and everything that they can have. Yeah. But then at the same time, he's like, but if you, if you strike me down, you know, it's going to come back tenfold, way worse. So, I don't know. I felt like he was kind of filling them out at the same time and just seeing what they were made of. I don't know because he said that that one part, how like he found the, uh, the threshold of where he no longer knew what was going on. Anymore. Right. So I don't know if he had it in count, like if he'd calculated that beforehand or I think it just, I think like it just stopped. Like he knew everything. And then there's like this point in time where everything just like it ended. Like he couldn't see past that. Like, he saw everything and then there's like this certain point where it led up to and now it's like, oh my God, it's anybody's, it's anybody's guess as to what happens. And like, I think that's a little bit of like where, um, his excitement was coming from as a character as well. Not just only being, you know, interacting with other, you know, people for what seems like probably been years and years and years, but like the fact that he doesn't know what's going to come next. Getting back to that Wonka thing too, his whole cloak, the way he was dressed, like in the vein of Wonka, the purple, the colors were mm-hmm. very similar. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, did anybody else get? And I've actually mentioned like how like the beginning, the music, and like well, the way I don't know. I've mentioned Seven before. How the show kind of like reminds me of Seven, like with the opening credits, and you see like the different. Loki, um, when they show the different title screens and shit like that, how it reminded me of seven. Did anybody get a seven vibe here when he kind of like threw it out there? Like, you've got a choice. You can fucking kill me. Or did it like at the end yeah. with, with Kevin Spacey's like basically saying like, you know, In the desert. he wants him to, yeah, he's like, he's basically saying to Brad Pitt, like, you know, you know, the final sin is to kill me. And that's the way he kind of like wants it to play out, you know, cause like that's what makes like the end of this story. And like I felt like he was kind of like, you know, he, he, I think he wanted Sylvie to kill him in the end. Absolutely. No, he absolutely did. From the moment mm-hmm. they walked in, I feel like he sized them up 
And, well, I, I feel like he didn't even have to size him up because right away he was telling Loki, you know, you're just a flea on the back of a dragon that managed to hold on for the ride. You know, congrats. Oh, dude, but nice. Really talking to Sylvie. Yes. And, and, like, I think from the beginning, right when she walks in, he knows it's not going to take much for me yep. to push her to the point where she's going to kill me. Did you notice? Did you notice how like he he adjusted his like he had that time band on his his like Kang temp pad that he had on his like Kang time twister or whatever, and he adjusted it and it basically like showing it to Sylvie like oh yeah yeah he he, he and like he said all along I paved this entire road yeah it led you down it and he's even doing that in this episode he's leading her right there. And what's funny is that he he deflects on the question of you know what her whole life her whole life Joe I'm sorry to interrupt I apologize okay. her whole <laughs> life he basically like guided her entire life to make her do yeah. this one thing yeah yeah he 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 wound her up like a toy soldier and she's just marching right along and and the thing I think is so fascinating about it is that he said he's tired he's lived a million lifetimes he's seen it all. And now he's passed this threshold. And when they passes the when they pass the threshold, he gets really excited about it. Mm-hmm. And I can't help but think from like a character perspective, if you're this character that's lived for this long, you've seen so much, you've experienced so much, the one thing that all these other people in your lifetime have experienced, this death, you know, this part of the natural cycle of, of, of birth, death, and then rebirth, he's stuck in the middle of that cycle. He's not going all the way through. And so part of me just wonders is like Okay, he's come to a philosophical, you know, judgment that eventually somebody else is going to take over and run it for him and continue his life's work, or they're just going to kill him and eventually he's pretty much going to end up right back there again. Might as well as see what this death is all about. And so, yeah, he comes well, up with this when he esque test, and, yeah, and then he just has to goad her to do, to cross the finish line. It is totally reminiscent of Seven in that yeah. you're seeing this bad guy manipulate the hero in, into doing something that ultimately you as the viewer in, in Loki himself noticed, you know, we probably shouldn't do this. When he no, says, it, when he says at the, he says, and I just end up back here anyways, reincarnation, baby. I don't, he's not talking about him. He's talking about the bad Kang. Are we sure about that? Because I kind of thought that at first. I was thinking, you know, that's why he's like, yeah, if you kill me, it's inevitable. I'll just be back here anyway. I've lived a million lifetimes. This dude's been watching reruns for a million lifetimes, and he finally got himself a new episode. He kept talking about, like, he's the one that keeps the other one from – he's protecting the universe. You know, like, the multiversal war happened because of Kang, and then it ended – because of Kang and he protected this universe by not branching off into the universe. And I think he's talking and I don't know if I'm right. And I guess that's why I'm asking this question when he says, and I just end up back here anyway, reincarnation, baby. I think he's talking about the bad version of him ending up there. Like it's, it is a form of reincarnation. It's in a way, it's not like in the comics where Kang was basically like setting up all these different other Kangs to rule and conquer in different multiverses. Like I guess these Kangs just always existed in different multiverses and all different and had different, um, 
Um, they all aspired to different things. And some of them were like this King to the Conqueror that we're going to come across that just wants to go throughout the universe and conquer everything. And I, that's what I thought. I felt, I felt like we're, de- we're going to be dealing with King the Conqueror and the next King that ends up here, uh, in this world is the one that's going to conquer it. I think that's it's the possible. way I took it as well. Oh, I don't think we'll ever see this version of Kang again. I don't either. But I, but, but I, but I don't know, and I'm not saying I'm right either. You know. Well, mm-hmm. I, I think what happened was when when the timeline fractured like that, or the time stream fractured, and it didn't fracture when he died. Open. It didn't fracture when no, he it, died. He was still alive. It's basically it happens seconds after the point where he says, "I don't." This is, this is, this is the point where I don't know anything. Like, this is a point, we've crossed this threshold where, you know, I haven't seen past this point. It happens seconds after that. And it's not like, I, I was like, I had to go back and watch because I was like, did Sylvie, did Sylvie kill him and then it branched off? And then I went back and watched and I was like, no, like, it started to branch off way before. It started branching off as soon as the TVA was sufficiently distracted and they weren't doing their jobs anymore. And then all this, you know, we're, we're kind of seeing this stuff happen. I mean, we're viewing it all in a linear way because we're seeing the show, but we have to remember that all this stuff that is happening between Sylvie and Loki and and He Who Remains is happening outside of the time flow. So, you know, I mean, it, it kind of works in a story way that we're seeing it there, but I, I think what's happening is that all that's, the TVA is not paying attention anymore mm-hmm. and all this stuff is starting to splinter apart and that's when he goads her into going that final distance and killing him and you know then the timeline just continues to spiral out of control and that's when we're getting back to that loop that you were talking about earlier is that the timeline spiraling out of control it's not just happening from like you know this point forward that means that for all time since the beginning of time it has been branching off as well like it, it gets really fucking mind bendy at that point. Yeah, I don't. It, I don't know. It, it, it's you know, it's not like oh, time up till this point was was all normal, and now it's fraying apart. Like like you've cut the end off a rope, and all the strands are fraying apart. But as you trail down the length of the rope, it's still nicely braided together. I'm taking this as as soon as there wasn't somebody there to guard and guard in this time, this you know, supreme timeline, the sacred timeline, is that all these branches started everywhere from the beginning of time till the end of time there are branches that all spread out at once <sighs> jake what's your take man i don't know i don't know if i can i, I fall in line with what joe's saying a lot too yeah. I, I think now that this king is gone all the other kings can go back to to mingling with but he's other. not here's the thing he's not gone yet i feel like it was just predetermined from this point on i don't know i but i don't know because he's not gone he's still there when it's this- totally plausible that that version of He Who Remains, that, that whatever variant of, of Kang or, or Nathaniel Reed's that he is, mm-hmm. exists somewhere on the timeline. Because at one time when he existed, there was a multiversal war happening with all these different things clashing. And I think that the one of the causes of that war is what happened in this episode of Loki. It, it's a loop. This was the cause of the multiversal war that happened at the end of time. Thank you, and Joe. It starts that's, it all over again. That's what I wanted to ask. That's what I was confused about. So, is it the he's talking about the war that he's? Wait, oh, I'm sorry. Let me explain that again because I get confused with this shit. Yeah. So, he's talking about the the multiversal war at the beginning. Mm-hmm. When, you know, when he first starts explaining it. So then, by killing him, 
they're starting the war all over again because they're out of that timeline. Is that correct, Joe? Is that what you're saying? So like it's the beginning. That's the way I'm looking. It's at not it. like another multiversal war. Is what I'm saying. Multiversal War Two. It's like a new. It's a. It's basically I'll, just restarting the. No, war. no, no, no. He says in this episode that he sa- he gives them the options. He basically says that you can either you can either there's two options. You can rule together or multiversal war. Those are the two options. He knows that they will not select rule together because he knows at their heart that Loki is untrustable and Sylvie is incapable of trust. So he knows that no matter what, she's going to kill him. Yeah. That's what I kind of meant. I very poorly explained it earlier, but when I said that's kind of like a test that he's doing to them, I think that's what he was doing. He was egging them on because he knew what was going to happen. Yeah. I feel I, like he kind of knew, he knew that this war needed to start. I don't know. It's very, con- I get so damn confused when it comes to the time travels or the time. <laughs> I just didn't mean they completed. I just didn't mean they were doing multi, multi-dimensional war two. was the way I took it. I didn't think it was the same. I mean, obviously it's the same conflicts with the same problems, but I think it's been held at bay. I don't think it's like a, so much a loop as it, it's just starting all up again. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I was just thinking, you know, because he explained that. I'm with Jake. The, uh, okay. I was just wondering because, you know, he explained um, himself as well as the other variants, described rather himself as well as the other variants as a bunch of narcissists. Yeah. So I thought maybe he was just toying with them a little bit, you know, making it fun. I, dude, I, 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 I took him at his word that, because he does in the episode, he does express that you've got a choice here. You either can, um, you and, you know, Sylvie and Loki, you can take control of the TVA, or the other option is multiversal war. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Jake, that this is a continuation of the war that he ended. And now we're going to get to see this play out, but we're also going to get to see it play out with, inve- with Avengers involved. Is that, is that what you're saying, Jake? That's exactly what I'm saying. And I, and I agree. I don't think he has any reason to lie at this point. Because I think he's very confident that he's going to die, and he's so much that he's manipulating it so he will die. Yeah, I think he has no reason to lie in these final moments, and that he knows to be his final moments. Right. And, and yes, I do think it's a continuation of a war that's already been happening, not a loop of it happening again for the first time. I don't think Can it I is ask an ignorant question just to kind of figure this out. No, please. So, okay, so like he said that he was the one that like stopped the multi- multiversal war, right? Yes. He contained it to that. He's point. the one who weaponized Eliath and stopped. Well, he stopped the multiversal war within this universe, within this. I don't know what's going on in the other ones, Dan. That's, but, yeah, that's yes. what I wanted to know. So there's these Kangs that he's talking about, these variants that he's talking about. They were just, they never really described where they were. I was under the impression that they might have been non-existent at that point, hmm. getting me back to my theory of starting the multiversal war and all these different uh, um, variants being you know, spawned from that. But maybe that's not the case. Like I said, it confuses me. Yeah, what, what I think is that I think that when he won that multiversal war and he said that he isolated his timeline, cleaned it up, and then pruned every variant timeline, yeah. at that moment... All of those other variants of Kang, all those realities cease to exist everywhere except for in his memory. They just weren't there anymore. That's and then what I, he yeah, kept I strict control over that timeline for presumably millions of years. And then at the moment of his death, it comes apart. It doesn't just come apart at the moment of his death. It comes apart everywhere. And all of that stuff springs back into being because there's not some vigilant gardener there that's keeping these things from sprouting up. 
And so that's what leads me to believe that it is a loop. It's the same war, and we could possibly see this exact same variant of Kang again. But we've got new variants in the formula now that there's these two different Lokis that are now armed with knowledge, you know, from that apple that we were seeing here. We know that his edge to win the war was weaponizing and seemingly being able to control Eliath. Well, we have two Lokis that know how to control Eliath. I, I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm a little confused as to what you're, what you're saying. I don't want to get down this rabbit hole too much. So let's, but here, okay. I need a dry erase board. I just think like, okay, uh, let me, that GIF right now. let me say this. And then I want to hear what you have to say, Joe and Jake and Dan, um, that all these different multiverses existed and they were all stacked upon each other. Okay. And they found a way to connect them. And this Particular, then the multiversal war started. This particular variant of Kang found a way to weaponize Eliath and then prune any branches from connecting to the other multiverses. And so it was basically able to control time within this one universe. And just because he was able to do that doesn't mean that those other universes ceased to exist. No, I think that that's what it meant. I think he pruned them and they were sent to the void and Eliath eventually consumed them. And I felt like the, 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 I felt like it was more of like a seal, like he had sealed himself off. Yes. And the, like the nexus events that started was basically, it was trying to connect one multiverse to our universe and he stopped that from happening and then sent those to the void. Yeah, and totally. Yeah. I could see it working that way too. <sighs> Because like those, it's fun with these concepts. Yeah, they're so slippery. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's. Let's move on. I want to move on because I think we can just. I think we can. I think we. If we keep talking about this, I think we'll all get lost and avoid ourselves. <laughs> so, so, I want to talk about kind of like the end of the episode when we're back at the TVA. So we get the we get the moment where the big betrayal here with Sylvie, if you want to call it a betrayal, but she, you know, she does what she needs to do. She, you know, she, she pickpockets Kang and she uses that time device and she opens a portal, pushes Loki through after their emotional kiss, which I don't know about you guys, but when Loki is talking about how he just wants to make sure that she's okay and everything like that, and he's crying and you see tears dropping from his face. I started to fucking tear up. I thought it was one of the most incredibly acted performances that I've seen. Um, I think it ranks not, I think, I think I would rank it up there, but not quite as amazing as like the stuff we saw at the end of Endgame, but it's still really fucking up there. I thought it was really good. And Tom Hiddleston is, he is so fucking cool. That guy is just so fucking cool. And I love him as this character. And you cannot, I don't care what multiverse you go in. You are not going to cast a better fucking Loki than Tom Hiddleston. This guy deserves all the fucking awards for this season of Loki. I, I, God damn it. He's so charismatic and just so perfect in this role. Jake, it's like, it's one of those things like, fan casting going back like i remember like seeing the articles going back and seeing the articles like when they cast chris hemsworth and and tom hiddleston it says like you know marvel casts two nobodies as thor and uh loki and like now it's like i cannot see anybody else in this fucking role other than tom hiddleston no i i 100 agree and yeah that scene was, was gut-wrenching and yeah just about tom hiddleston like he, he's so great and He's so into the role, and I think that's what really pushes it along to the next level, too. Yeah. Like, he himself is just so into it. 
he's gone on record this week saying yes. he would play the role for the rest of his life. Love it. Could. I love it. Um, yeah, and I mean, we've seen him at cons. He just commands these groups. He showed up to San Diego okay. Comic Con dressed as yeah, Loki. Dressed like Loki. Oh, yes, dude. Yeah, I believe one uh, year he had no mic and was just had everyone in the palm of his hand. If I've never said it before, Jake, you know, if I, I mean, if I've ever talked about like who my favorite actors are for you know the Marvel Cinematic Universe, if I if I've never mentioned Tom Hiddleston being in the top, he is now, and um, you know, just like the season of WandaVision, like th- that's what did it. Uh, for me with Elizabeth Olsen. She's up there now. Of course, Robert Downey Jr. I mean, like, oh, God, they're so good. Yeah, it's just those two characters. I mean, you think you've seen a bunch of them, but you really haven't. Like, if you, like, add up the actual amount of screen time and line time they get in all the movies before their series, it's not that much. You know? Right, yeah. I, I would argue that we see more in those six episodes of Loki of Loki than all his previous movies combined. And you can just do so much more with the character work when that's the case. And it's same with Elizabeth Olsen. So when, when okay, so when Sylvie pushes him through, uh, you know, she opens up the ten, like like Kang's temp pad and pushes him through the portal, and he goes back to the TVA. And you know, Mobius doesn't recognize him. B fifteen doesn't recognize him. They just think he's an analyst. And and they're and and when we first see them, they're talking about he and you know the we got you know he he. So like, I'm like, who is he? Who is he? And we, of course, we find out we see a statue um, of just. Of like we've seen statues of three timekeepers, and in this one we just see one statue, and it's Jonathan Majors Kang. This is a TVA that they know they're being run by who's ever being represented by this statue. So if it's Kang, if they know they're being run by Kang, this is a TVA that knows that they are being run by Kang. It's not three timekeepers. And it made me think of like when they first got into the Citadel and we see the three statues and the one that was destroyed, I kept thinking, is this that statue now fully erected? Is this that one statue? Is this that statue? We saw the we saw the three faux ones, the the, you know, the phony timekeepers or whatever. Maybe it was the Council of the Kings. I don't know. But is this that one statue that it survived in this universe? And this who is running this TVA? I also want to point out, like, okay, so uh, we thought that the TVA was protected. It was. There is, uh, you know, it's outside of time. How can this TVA be so different? How does this Mobius and this B-15 not know who this Loki is? I think they're in alternate reality. Uh, yeah, and I uh, here's the thing. <laughs> okay, hold on. Hold, I got a question for you, Joe. Joe, are you saying this is back to the future time travel? No, I, I think he's in a, a, a TVA that's in a di- different reality. I, yes. I think the Mobius and, and, I, and, uh, the, the other hunter that we left behind, I think that they're still somewhere else. It's just that that's not where Sylvie sent Loki, whether she did it on purpose or not. Because I don't, we just saw Mobius. I lost you, Joe. Yeah, Joe, you disappeared. 
I'm gonna let me when we get Joe back. I'm gonna sit another PCL alternate. Joe Joe went to a different reality, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Someone's getting some real good theory somewhere, dude. There's a dude, Joe. There's a there's a hold on. No internet, and I'm like, what? There's a statue of you in my living room right now, dude. What the fuck? what's going on with my internet here sorry about that don't sweat it i don't think like okay some people might speculate that like when loki got sent through the portal it changed like whatever happened in you know the citadel changed what happened in the past and i don't think that it's back to the future time travel where like in that movie like what you do in the past like if you get like you know the 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 sports almanac and you make these bets like then you can go back to 1985 and biff owns a you know a casino i don't think that that's the case here um you know i think you know just like in Marvel, like in, 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 um, in Endgame, they kind of explained, like, when you go back in time and you do something different, um, it creates this nexus event that branches off, but leaves the original history timeline unaffected, but it, it, it creates a multiverse. So when Sylvie pushed Loki through the time portal door, I think we're saying the same thing, Joe, here. She pushed him into a different branch reality. Yes, absolutely. And this is a TVA from a different timeline, a TVA run by Kang. So, because, like, when we see that the sacred timeline is a ring in the episode and we see the origin of Kang when he shows up, uh, shows us the worlds are stacked on one another as these flat circles, I believe that there might be... And I don't know this. I don't know this. It might contradict, and I want to know what you guys think. There might be multiple citadels outside of time. There's definitely multiple TVAs. There's multiple universes where our heroes exist. And so in other universes, the X-Men might exist already, which means they've always been there in those worlds. So when we're we're watching the episode, when we're watching the episode, when it first starts, at the very beginning, we get these voiceovers from a bunch of characters and it goes through, you know, the galaxy. And then we, we pull out of that galaxy and it shows us a black hole. And then we see another black hole in which we zoom into that one. And it takes us into the Citadel that we see in the episode. Does that support the theory that there is only one Citadel or does it, I mean, or is there just one citadel? Is like this? Is that legit? Or are there no. m- multiple citadels? There's multiple citadels. It, it makes perfect sense to me that in infinite possibilities, more than one Kang came up with this plan that the one we, we see did. I, you know, more than one of them had to come up with this. Let's go hide. Let's keep pruning the timeline so we don't get involved in the most evil Kang's interdimensional war anymore. Black holes, black holes basically are kind of like, um, like, uh, I don't, I'm not a scientist. I'm not, not Neil deGrasse Tyson, but like black holes are kind of like a shortcut through the universe. You know, it's kind of like poking a hole in a piece of paper and you end up yeah, like folding the paper. Yeah. That's the most fantastic idea about it. But, like, I don't think that they showed us that black hole just to show us a black hole because it looked fucking cool. 
And what's weird about that is we hear all of our heroes' voices and all of the things and all the quotes that we've heard in the Marvel Cinematic Universe from, you know, know, Thor and Iron Man and and Black Panther. We hear all these quotes, and then we're taken into another black hole. And, like, so when we go through that black hole, are we led to believe that the Citadel is... I don't understand. I don't. I don't get it. Like, it, yeah, because the Citadel seems to be hanging out in that black hole. Because it's like we go out of the, we go out of the black hole that all of our like MCU title card stuff yes. is coming from. Yeah, it goes out of that, goes into another one, and then it's like we're speeding through the timeline, and we're kind of seeing this timeline, you know, kind of like ludicrous speed or whatever, you know, and and then it kind of pans out and it's loop you know we're seeing that time stream looping around it so it's like that citadel it's it's outside the time stream but it does seem to be inside this other universe yeah this other black hole right and and that is one of those theories that there could be you know uh, if you were to go inside a black hole that's it's just another universe inside it and then that universe could contain a, a supermassive black hole that has another universe inside of it and it could just be you know, turtles all the way down. Yeah, I just can't believe that there's another Kang in another universe that isn't controlling the time there with the use of, like, their own version of a Citadel. So, you know, I'm, it's so goddamn Kang-fusing. <laughs> <laughs> or, or the way I was looking at it was when we're seeing the title card come out of one universe, is that, like, our, like, real-world universe that we're all in right now? And then you're seeing that come out, and then that other universe is kind of the the universe that that these MCU stories are taking in and that's where this multiverse is, is bursting into, into life from. I mean, yeah, it's, there's so many different ways you could take it. There's a, have you seen speculation that Kang in this episode also recognizes us, the viewers and our universe's existence. He directly looks at the camera when they're in the elevator going down. I mean, it's not subtle at all. He kind of looks to his left and then looks straight at, holy shit. He's like, he's like Deadpool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it it very much feels like he recognizes like the other universes that exist that are watching this play out as well. Like it, it seems like that, which would be which universe. which would definitely make him an, uh, a nexus being. Yeah, yeah. If, yeah. You, if you watch that scene, if you know what I'm talking about, it's right when they get in the elevator and they've got their swords drawn behind his back. Oh, did you yeah. notice when they both? I, I love that. I'm gonna have to watch that, Jake. I got to see him look at the screen now, so I will be watching that again. Did you notice when they're like walking him to like his desk and everything, and before they, he's asking them basically to like sit down. And if you watch Sylvie and Loki, they're both holding their knives, their swords, the exact same way, and they sit down the exact same way. They mirror each other. It's crazy. <laughs> it is crazy. It's like fold-out dolls, like paper dolls almost. I want to talk about a couple of theories that I've seen. Uh, one is interesting. I, I don't believe this is what happened. Um, but there's the Steve Rogers theory. Have you guys heard about this one? I know. One theory is Steve Rogers is the reason this all happened. So Steve Rogers, Captain America, goes back and stays with Peggy. And that causes the very first real Nexus event. And that creates the multiverse, which didn't exist yet. So, like, the multiversal war had not happened at all. Kangs had not battled each other. So, now, the future's been altered. With Steve Rogers going back in the past, creating the very first Nexus event, the future's been altered. And this basically, now, 
a butterfly effect happens in the future where Jonathan Majors Kang character in the 31st century discovers that the multiverse exists and we get uh, that origin story that we hear about in this episode because of Steve Rogers going back into the past and you know basically it never existed before Steve Rogers did all of that it basically was like this rippled butterfly effect and so basically like you know there's a lot of possibilities about that. Like, well, like what, what could happen? Like, you know, like we could, you know, later on down the road, possibly in season two of Loki or quantum mania, uh, we find, you know, find out that cap was the original nexus event. And, and he started all this and maybe old cap finds out about this, that he's the reason for all this. And that this will be why he'll reverse his age. Like we saw in Endgame with, uh, you know, baby Scott Lang and he came back and now we got old cap coming back as young cap again for one final Avengers event, you know, secret wars where they have to stop Kang. Um, so that's one of the theories that are out there that it's actually like this never, this never existed. None of this, none of this ever happened before. And it was actually, um, Steve Rogers that, that did this. And that would, I guess that would explain like why this Kang would know everything that happened up until that point. I don't know. I, what do you guys think about that one? I'm not buying it, but I think it's cool. I'm in the same boat. I don't think it's going to pan out that way, but it is cool. It is a cool way to get Captain America back in the story. Gosh, you can see how much remorse Steve would feel once he found out. Yeah. You know, he tried to do this good thing that made this thing really bad. I mean, at that point, he's worse than Star-Lord. Right. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. yeah I, I think it's a cool theory, but I'm also not buying it. But I, I'm mostly not buying it because I don't, I don't buy the that Steve would have been the first Nexus event because technically when Loki disappeared with that Tesseract that he wasn't supposed to get his hands on, you know, after being held prisoner after the battle in New York, he he would have been a a Nexus event that happened before Steve going back. Hmm. Very true. There's another theory that this Kang might not be a descendant of Reed Richards, that this Kang might be a descendant of Tony Stark and, uh, Tony Stark, I mean, invented time travel in Endgame, and Tony Stark, in this episode, Jonathan Majors refers to as the other Kangs when they start to interact with each other. They are narcissistic and self-congratulatory, which are two traits of uh, Tony Stark, and uh, in Endgame, you know, Tony Stark has a child that would, you know continuous legacy so that you know and we and we saw that tony stark was you know the reason that we got uh um ultron and it wasn't hank pym so you know just more kind of like connecting this universe the mcu to tony stark yeah i I think that that one has a lot of credence based on everything else that they've kind of retconned is you know tony being the author of yeah yeah, uh, I agree with Joe. We've we've very easily made Tony Stark the creator of Ultron and the seer all these future events with Thanos, and that would be a a really cool way to get his like essence back in the story without necessarily getting Robert Downey Jr. back. Yeah, exactly. Just a good way to keep his name flowing throughout the movies. Yeah, I like that too. Um, we're getting into season two. I want to talk about some other things here, you know, before we wrap. But um, and of course, we're going to be rating stuff. Um, but Joe, uh, what did I miss? Um, uh, one of the things I found that we haven't touched on yet was, uh, 
this script was rewritten uh, due to COVID delays. And so they originally had an alternate ending, uh, you know, purportedly um, set out for this where we wouldn't have gotten Jonathan Majors in throughout the, this whole episode. It would have been a, a, a more fleshed out uh, scene between uh, the Loki, Sylvie, and Miss Minutes when they first arrive in the Citadel. Yeah. And when she's promising them those things, that we would have actually seen like visual representations of that. Yep. And that's where we got some of these, you know, King Loki visuals of in the trailers that didn't pan out in the episode. Dude, even the most recent trailer still showed us King Loki. <laughs> yeah. That's the MCU trailers for yeah. it, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the, it was going to be very different. And, and, so they were going to get, you know, visual scenes of, of this is what we're offering you. And when they ultimately say, no, we make our own destiny, they were then going to have like this big long fight scene where they were going to have to fight all these different greatest warriors throughout the timeline. And then, you know, when the, when they got delayed due to COVID and the writers were able to take a look at it and toss it around a little bit more. And, you know, ultimately they ended up going with what we got, which, you know, I, I couldn't be more happy about. I, um, so much of of this season has given me lost vibes and and there's nothing that makes me happier than when they come up with a really good organic way to have somebody come in because i mean going into this sixth episode we all had these questions of what's going on what what is this and for them to literally have a charismatic actor come in and give this really unique delivery on let me tell you what's going on here you know it, it just worked out so well and then, you know, you add in this dynamic between these two characters that one's incapable of trust and one is absolutely not trustworthy. Mm. And and this guy that's so crafty that's got, you know, I mean, if, if a human being and a human being's intelligence and craftiness is based on experience, how intelligent and crafty are you going to be after living a million lifetimes? How yeah. easy is it going to be to, to see people... You know, for, for, for what they are based on base desires and stuff and be able to manipulate them as such. And I feel like like he... Everything that happened in this episode was exactly as he who remains planned. And it, it's super exciting to, to see how the rest of this is going to play out through these upcoming phases. Question, Joe. And I'm, yes. I'm trying to put this all together. Because, okay, uh, first off, on uh, uh, Joanna Robinson, uh, who does the Still Watching podcast, uh, she writes for Vanity Fair. She talked about... Uh, this I had Josh Davis uh, remind me of this. I, I'd listened to the podcast, but Josh Davis reminded me of this. She was talking about how you know she had heard from a source that um, that they had done rewrites around November because of the COVID related outbreak, uh, COVID related break in production, and that Kang was originally only going to appear in post credits. And so she talked about this on her podcast. Um. What are the what are the chances that Jonathan Majors and <sighs> Jonathan Majors knew that Lovecraft Country was going to be canceled and that he could fucking he could he could he would be available? It wasn't going to conflict with a Lovecraft season two. Anything that they were going to do going forward was not going to conflict with a Lovecraft season two. We knew that we were going to get him for Quantum Mania. Like, he'd signed on. But, like, did maybe they didn't know. I don't know. Does it... Or, mm. I, I, I buy into what you're saying. I get... Because, okay, I'm looking at the dates of Lovecraft Country, Jake. It premiered August 16th of 2020, and it ended 
The last episode was October 18th of 2020. And the first rumors that we heard that there was going to be a Loki season two came from comic book resources in November of 2020. We reported that on the episode and like, even like months later, I'm like, wasn't there rumors of a season two of Loki? And, you know, of course at the end of this episode there, they, they confirmed the season two, but like, do you think like maybe they just, they told Jonathan majors like, yeah, you know, we, we're not going to do a season. We're not going to do I it. Think what I think is the more likely scenario is that when these six episodes were first pinned, majors wasn't cast at all. And because of the COVID delay in filming, when they could shoot these episodes in between then and when they could resume, then they had their cane. Interesting. Okay. And that they, at that point, and this is all just speculation, but I think at that point they said, okay, well now we have our Kang because we've had to wait X amount of months to even film this final episode. Yeah. Let's rewrite, rewrite this episode and do more than this post credit stinger with him. We can do more with we, him. We can do yeah, more with him now. Yeah. So I, I lean towards that being the case more than any kind of love, him knowing Lovecraft country. Not that that's not possible. Sure. But that's how I think the COVID delay came in. Okay. Like, the whole rewrite. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm just trying to put everything together. I'm looking at dates and everything. And I'm also trying to figure out like, when could we get a Loki season two? Um, if, uh, like comic book resources, when they reported this, they said that a production j- date could start in, uh, January of 2022, which means that we could be getting, I mean, if, if they, if, if it's a year later, we could be getting Loki season two. When, when do you think we're going to get a Loki season two, Jake? Do you think it's going to be, I've, okay, hold on. Ant-Man Quantum Mania releases in February of 2023. Are we going to get a Loki season two? Before Ant Man Quantum Mania, or is it going to happen after Ant Man Quantum Mania? I lean towards after. I think they're dead set in Kang's next appearance being in that Quantum Mania. And I, I feel like Loki's going to, I think the Doctor Strange stuff is also potentially going to come out first as well. Um, but I don't know. I mean, maybe none of that will matter, and season two will, will more focus on the TVA aspect of everything rather than the, the big bad of Kang and what's going on there. Yeah. It might be Loki trying to find Sylvie again storyline. Hmm. rather When than, is Multiverse of Madness coming out? That comes out the, before uh, Quantumania. Yeah. Oh, really? I thought that was the like the May movie next year. Am I wrong about that? Well, uh, Quantum Mania comes out in 2023. Oh, okay. February of 2023. So. Oh, then, then I'm wrong. Then I'm wrong. I forgot Quantum Mania was so far away. I I, I stand by both things. Though. I, now I think Loki will come before, but I also think in the in the grand Kang scheme of things, March 25th of 2022 is when we're going to get Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Yeah, I just don't think the next season of Loki will be very Kang-centric. I think they have other avenues and other storylines they could spin off from. We literally see a statue of Kang at the end of this episode. Yeah, I know. But I don't Couldn't know that if just that's be... going to be... Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Dan. I don't know if that's going to be Loki's desires or his wants. I mean, obviously the character will, will paint the background of where they're at and what's going on. 
but I just don't think it'll be the main motivation of the season. Oh yeah, I'm not saying like you know we're gonna get Jonathan Majors as a major character in that season, but I think like it's gonna be very the season will be very Kang motivated. Ravona Renslayer seeking out this Kang. I mean, I just can't see them avoiding Kang in the second season of Loki. You can see uh, you can see Renslayer really liking the idea of a Kang running a TVA that is upfront about it. He's not hiding behind fake timekeepers and stuff. He's just being out in the open. You know, I'm I'm your ruler. This is this is who's running things. You can see her liking that. I would love to. God damn it! I would love to see like Renslayer and Kang be like the evil version of like Sue Storm and Reed Richards. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, just like kind of like you know, just going up. I don't know. Just going up against each other would be super cool. Um, this, I think, this does. I think that Loki does kind of prove that WandaVision takes place. At least the scene at the end of WandaVision, the final scene of WandaVision, I will say this. I believe that the final scene in WandaVision takes place after the events of Loki because she hears her – you agree. She hears her children crying in for her and I believe that she's – you know, when she created them in the hex – now she's finding a version. She's hearing a version of her children in the multiverse screaming for her. And um, I think that this is after the multiverse has been kind of like created here by the events of, of Loki. I agree. I, I, I think that that holds a lot of weight um, because, you know, we really didn't get to, like the, the other multiverse stuff in – and WandaVision was such a swerve until that mm. moment. Yeah. Like that was the one thing that actually felt real. And that would, I mean, it seems like it would line up with what's going on here. Yeah. With, you know, Loki meant to, to break open the multiverse like this. Kate Heron, uh, this comes from, uh, Dark Horizons. Kate Heron, who directed all six episodes of the first season of Marvel Studios, Loki on Disney Plus to great acclaim will not return for the second season. Did you guys hear about this? It's interesting. I did. Yeah. I read it just today. Yeah. Speaking with Deadline this morning, she confirmed that she would not be returning and that a second season wasn't really a guarantee anyway until the announcement in the final episode of the current run. Quote, I'm not returning. I always plan to be just on for this. And to be honest, season two wasn't in the – that's something that just came out and I'm so excited. I'm really happy to watch it as a fan next season, but I just think I'm proud of what we did here and I've given it my all. I'm working on some other stuff yet to be announced. She then confirmed that other stuff, uh, his, uh, her own work and not another MCU project, but she would have no problems returning to this universe. Quote, I love Marvel and I'd love to work with them again, but my outing with Loki is what I've done with them. Um, yeah, uh, meanwhile, series star Tom Hiddleston has spoken with Marvel's official site and confirmed the new season is still in the early stages, but moving forward quick. Quote, we are already in discussions, deep, deep, deep discussions. I can't wait to get started. And let's see here. Oh, I also got this from Dark Horizons, along with being 
the first of Marvel Studios series to score a formal renewal. Loki is also seeing its main star return to the big screen where his character was born. THR reports that Hiddleston's Loki character is expected to appear in the upcoming Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to bring this up because it, it makes me wonder what... What is season two of Loki going to be like? When is it coming out? How are they going to make it so that he's going to fit into that Doctor Strange movie? I, I, a lot of questions with that sentence. Yeah. Th- dude, we're definitely getting Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness before we get Loki season two. Uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness comes out March 25th of 2022. Wha- you think he dips in and rescues him from a time loop, so? Oh, what do you, Jake, what do you think? Well, what's going on here, dude? Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what Dr. Strange is going to do. I, I, I like Joe's theory a lot of him being the one to kind of come pluck him from the reality that he has no business being in. I want to be in that world for a little bit. Yeah, exactly. It kind of I want him to, I want him to interact with this new Mobius. I want him to interact with this new Hunter B-15. I that I want to see that story it feels played like out. A short change if that's not the kind of stuff we're getting in Loki season two. Exactly because otherwise they left all those threads hanging in this season. It's like, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe it's not even this Loki necessarily that is going to be in the Doctor. Oh movie. shit! That's a really good idea. Like, how could we not even think of that? Go ahead. What? what no. What? What did you say, Jake? Maybe it's not necessarily this Loki that's going to be featured in the Doctor Strange movie. I thought that as well. Yeah. What do you, but it's, it's, it's Tom Hiddleston's Loki character is what they're saying. That's the report. Are you saying, you're not saying Sylvie? Different Tom Hiddleston Loki. Okay. That's what I was thinking too. I, I, I was just trying to confirm if you were talking about like, you know, Richard E. Grant or, or, an, or, yeah, no. or a crocodile, or a crocodile Loki. <laughs> <laughs> I'm obviously not going to be able to like settle any of these threads in a Doctor Strange movie, and it yeah. would be really weird to not be settling these threads in Loki season two. Right. So it must just be another character. <sighs> Jesus Christ, what a season. <laughs> yeah. Six episodes I, of television would do that, right? Uh, as much as I loved WandaVision, like, I, I'm really <laughs> glad this didn't go down the route of just the CGI flashy light battle that really didn't answer any questions. Right. This was the exact opposite of that, and I, I really preferred the way this ended to, to WandaVision. I agree. I 100% agree. This is, uh, you know what, this is where I want us to uh, to talk about uh, this episode, rate this episode, and then um, I want us to, you know, I, I do want to hear your overall thoughts and, and, and ratings on on Loki Season 1. Because I think, I think that's really important. I, I would love to know where you guys kind of stand. I think I know where we all stand, but I'm really, cu- Dan, I'm really curious to hear what you say about this one. Uh, let's play, I'm going to play our rating system. I would have played our rating system had it played. I don't know why the fuck it's not playing. <laughs> oh, oh, I know why it's not playing. I got the volume turned down. Here we go. Here's our rating. The rating system is simple. If the leftovers don't like something, they toss it. If they do like something, they suggest you taste it. And if it's brilliant, it gets a Tupperware rating. If all the leftovers love it, then it gets the pinnacle of success, a Tupperware party. I'm going to st- Joe, I'm going to start with you, man. What uh this episode and the whole season, what do you what are you giving it? 
Oh, Tupperware for this episode and Tupperware for the season. Tupperware squared. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to go next. I'm also going <laughs> to... I'm going to give this episode of Tupperware the highest of Tupperwares. I'm going to give um, this season the highest of Tupperwares. It has just been, and I'm not trying to pressure anybody else into giving it Tupperwares, but man alive, this, this, like, this raised the bar for MCU Disney Plus television. Loki raised the fucking bar. Like, you got to bring it after this. Like, if fucking Moon Knight doesn't bring it, if fucking She-Hulk doesn't bring it, you're getting taste-its or high taste-its. This is, this is, this, this raised the goddamn fucking bar. Miss Marvel's got to bring it. You've all got to bring it from this fucking point on. This raised the goddamn bar. And, uh, this was just incredible. I loved all the speculation. I loved breaking down these episodes. Jake, we've, you know, we've talked about other episodes of other, you know, shows, WandaVision, Falcon and Winter, Falcon and Winter Soldier. I never did bonus episodes for those though. I felt like this show was like from the get, dude. From the get, I felt like this show was worthy of bonus episodes where we just focus on this shit. And man, did it stick the goddamn landing with the introduction yeah, episode of episode six was such justification. <laughs> yes. Yes, it was. Thank God. And I'm glad that I was, I planted my flag in the wrong theory. Cause like when I, when they opened that elevator and I saw Jonathan Majors, I was like, holy shit. Holy shit. I can't believe they're doing this. Kevin Feige didn't fucking lie to us this time. This is amazing. And, uh, I Tupperware the fuck out of everything in this, in this season. Lamentous, I'll still give it, <laughs> I taste it. <laughs> but as far as like an overall season, I'm gonna give it a Tupperware. This really did raise the bar for, uh, MCU Disney Plus television. Um, I'd J- argue that this made Lamentous better. Um, it, they did pay off what Lamentous was mostly trying to establish, and that's the feelings between this show's Loki and Sylvie. And this episode did come with the payoff for that. Oh, oh, I know. You gave it a Tupperware. You're always trying to justify Lamentis. <laughs> <laughs> I just do think that this episode made Lamentis better. Let, hey, let me go and do. I'll do a season rewatch, Jake. I'll do a season rewatch and I'll see where Lamentis stacks up. All right. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll, maybe I'll backtrack on that one and I'll be, I'll be a backtrack bitch and I'll be like, yeah, Jake was right. <laughs> Jake was right. Lamentis is amazing. So I will lament on Lamentis. Uh, Jake, what did you think about this episode in the season? Yeah, I mean, I was going to toss this shit, but you're applying so much pressure that now I feel like I have to Tupperware. You're a little bitch, no, I- dude. <laughs> <laughs> No, this was this was uh, this was by far my favorite episode of you know all the episodes of MCU television so far. Oh, thank you for saying that. I will second that. I mean, I know a lot of people will see that as insane because it's it's a lot of just exposition and talking heads. But man, I mean, this is one of my favorite Marvel villains of all time. Yeah, he was introduced in more than just uh, he turned his head and looked at the camera in credits. <laughs> oh, shut up! You stop! <laughs> God damn you! What do you, you start off and you sound so nice, and then you got to say something like that? <laughs> no, no, I'm not even trying to be mean, but I just. That's how I expected it to be, because that's how every big villain has been rolled sure. out. Yeah. Like, it's it, they never get, like, a, we're rolling this guy out, and now we're immediately going to have him delivering a 10-minute exposition speech about his identity. A 20-minute. Man, this, yeah, it yeah. took some balls to do this, dude. 
Yeah, it was just a very gutsy episode. I did not expect anything like it walking in. and It blew away my expectations of what we could do on MCU television. I mean, I thought before it was amazing how connected they were to the movie universe. And now it is the movie universe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is this is our introduction to Kang for for crying out loud. This is our fucking introduction to Kang. I cannot believe it. Oh, uh, and the whole series, I absolutely loved it. I, I agree with. I echo almost everything everyone else said. For me, it's this series, then Wandavision, and then Falcon and the Winter Soldier. But I, I really liked all three series. Oh, I did Second too. That ranking, yeah. Um, all right, Dan, you're kind of like, you're the, you're the wild card, man. Cause like I heard you and Steve rave about the first episode, especially Steve. Steve loved that first episode. I was blown away by Steve. Um, his, his thoughts on that first episode when I listened to you guys on Here's the Noise talk about it. But I don't know really where you fall in line with, you know, like episodes two on. So I'm dying to hear like where you fall. Like, like if you ruin the Tupperware party. No it's, pressure though. It's right? fu- There's no pressure, dude. Like I, it's. <laughs> but see, the thing is, like, no matter how you feel about this, it's yeah. not going to affect how I experience this show. But I want to know what your your personal thoughts were on, because I'm sure there are people that like maybe were let down by this 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 episode. I and I haven't talked to any casuals that haven't read the comics, don't know anything about Kang. I don't know. You know, like if I were to talk to my dad, my dad has no idea who Kang is. You know, so. You know, I, I, my dad probably knows who Krang from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is, but has no idea who Kang is. So what did you think about, uh, this, uh, this episode and then actually I, you tell me if you want to start with the whole season or just tell me about this episode. Let me know. All right. So as a casual, as you're putting it, um, you got to understand that this particular series, there's so much, I mean, I imagine it's like that with all of them, but there's so much like room for speculation of what's to come. And when you don't have that, you don't see it the same way that you guys are seeing it. Okay. That said, I, I'm just gonna say it. I Tupperware the series. First of all, um, I do, I do. I Tupperware the series. I like it because it was, it had a different to me it had a different feel than the rest of them. And they've all been very, you know, different in their, in their stylings and their, uh, their aesthetic and whatnot. This one to me played out more like a, a little bit of a slow burn. So I'll be honest when I say that I was I was leaning towards like a high tasted because mm. I really don't think that Marvel fucks up that much ever. You know what I mean? So I was leaning towards a high tasted, but it was honestly this last episode that locked me into a Tupperware because it got me excited for what's to come. And I've always been very like I said, I've been very curious about Kang. So just I don't know exactly how, where it, I know that there's it's not accurate to the comics, but it, it leaves so much room for what's to come. And listening to you guys talk about it really kind of sold it to me because, like again, as a casual, there's just no room for any of that speculation. I don't have that database in my head. So I watched this, you know, in a little bit of a different, um, I guess, a different way than a lot of people would, such as yourself. But it, it's, it's fucking incredible. It's beautiful. First of all, the music is insanely good. And it's got Tom Hiddleston. You know, there's some things where I thought that maybe it missed the mark a little bit, but I don't even truly have like a specific. It's just um, I knew that I was this particular series was really meant for the comic readers. And I appreciated that. And I, I applaud Marvel for doing that in this one, because, you know, like when I watched WandaVision, I didn't have that whole like I, I you know, I have some familiarity, but I didn't really have that whole like, holy shit, this is like a whole new thing that I really don't know about. 
So coming from that perspective, yeah, it had to kind of win me over into the Tupperware, but it is a full-on Tupperware this season. I love it. I cannot wait to see what happens with it. I'm actually really happy that we know right away that there's going to be a second season. Yeah. Because I have questions and I and I want to see, you know, I want to see what happens with um with Renslayer. I mean, we just talked about yes. how her whole, you know, her whole thing was she wanted to work for she wanted to feel a confirmation that she's doing the right thing and working for you know, one person, as she put it, you know, and uh, I think this new timeline where it's almost like a Planet of the Apes kind of an ending, you know what I mean? But like this new, this new. It is. You're 100 percent right. Like the, the, the Tim Burton Planet of the Apes. Yes, exactly. Yes. That's exactly what I was thinking. Um, but, you know, it's like tailor made for her. So I imagine that we're going to spend a lot of time with her. I don't know about Kang so much because, like, you know, I think he is painted into the background for this next season, which mm. I think is a smart thing to do. Don't don't blow it all just yet. You know, there's plenty of time for him. So I don't do you, kind of do you think, Dan, that Renslayer's relationship with Mobius will play heavily into kind of like I absolutely do? Because yeah. she's going into a different timeline where she, you know, or she knows so much about him, but he doesn't know anything about her. At least that's how I took it. So she can use that to manipulate him. Mm. Uh, there's a lot she's going in with a lot of knowledge that she's going in with that. I don't think they have. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that pans out. Oh, but um, yeah. as far as the last episode, I think I pretty much explained myself. It's a, it's a fucking Tupperware. I loved it, and I can't wait to see more. Oh, my God. I, guys, I loved having you guys on this episode to talk about it. Joe, you fucking uh, – I think uh, you broke my brain a little earlier. <laughs> but I, lo- I love it. I love it. I, you, know, you know, I would love to watch uh, Loki – I would love the Christopher Nolan commentary. I would love to sit here and I would love to watch Loki with Christopher Nolan and like just like pick his brain about like what what do you think, Mr. Nolan? What do you like Christopher Nolan's gonna watch fucking theme park MCU Marvel bullshit. He should. He fucking goddamn well should. <laughs> he fucking got you know, it's fucking entertainment. It's fucking entertainment and goddamn I, I I'm not I didn't say Scorsese. Jake. I imagine Nolan's pretty allergic to this shit too. I, the last two people I want to watch any MCU fucking uh, thing with is uh, Steven Dorf and Scorsese. <laughs> Steven Dorf, man. Yeah. I mean, I'll I'll watch it with Scorsese. He's so old; he'll be asleep in five minutes. Right? No bother. <laughs> Jake's like drawing fucking dicks on his face. <laughs> Raiding his pockets for Warm Weather's originals. <laughs> I love it, guys. Thank you so much. This, you know what, Jake? I cannot see us uh, when Loki season two comes out. I cannot see us not doing bonus episodes for Loki season two. I can't. I'm, yeah, I can't I mean, promise. I, I can kind of see it. I, I really do think it might be a little bit more of a character-driven show than an MCU building show the second season around. I mean, that's all just guesswork. But mm-hmm. I, I could see that being the case. And then it might be a bit redundant. Like, if we're just delving into the character of Loki and, and you know, Renslayer and Mobius and Sylvie, just more on, on a character journey and not so much as world-building MCU stuff, I could see it being a little bit of a, okay, why are we talking about this for week four? You're just trying to get out of doing after work, dude. No, no, not at all, not at all. Especially, I mean, that also explain the shift in creative teams, the reason Kate's not coming back, 
it might totally be a, just a completely different show we're getting ready to get on hey you know what get on twitter if you're listening to this one get on twitter and uh find out I, I i've already tweeted her and let her know that she's done something incredible here there's so much negativity on twitter and the internet people just bitching about everything and complaining about stuff and um get on the internet and let kate heron know if you loved this series um, let her know. Just let, you know, she's probably not gonna respond or anything like that. She's super fucking busy. She's, she's fucking, oh god, she's working in the MCU. She's fucking, she's, she's making the rounds, talking to everybody else, but just let her know that you loved what she did. Just send out some positivity on the, on the internet, man. You know, I, I, I understand that you had a, uh, you had a, you, you had a bad experience with Hertz Rental recently. Yeah, fuck that, man. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I'm gonna, you know what? I fucking have bad experiences at places and I let them know. I had, I, I fucking had a horrible experience with AMC this week with my app not working and, and I DM them and let them know and then they responded to me two fucking days later. <laughs> but, you know, just let her know. I, I'm sure she'll, she'll, she'll read it and if she does read it, she'll be very happy. It's, it's, it's nice to put out some positivity on the internet and let people know. You know, some good things, man. So, yeah, she did a great job. And if you didn't like it, just, just you know, if you don't have anything nice to say, just shut the fuck up. <laughs> don't say anything. <laughs> but I, I want to thank our guests. I want to thank uh, Joe. Where can people find you, man? Yeah, you can find me on my podcast, Startcast. We do uh, long-form uh, conversation shows. Just talk about whatever comes up. Startcast. Well, you, did you recent, what's the last one you did? You did Paul Hart? Yeah, yeah. Me and Paul talked for a little over three hours. Um, all sorts of fun stuff. I love talking with Paul. That guy's so great. That's a great episode, by the way. Oh, thank you. Oh man, now I feel like a dick. I haven't, I haven't listened to it yet, dude. <laughs> <laughs> look, 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 look at overachiever Dan over there. You bet, I bet you got, I bet you got a shit eating grin right now, don't you, Dan? Oh, you know I do. Whatever. I I try. <laughs> I was just waiting. Uh, no, if anyone here that doesn't have time to listen to podcasts, it should be you. You're a fucking. I say it every time. You're a goddamn machine when it comes to watching things. So I don't even know how you have time to listen to. Podcasts. My favorite movie is Terminator Two. So you comparing me to a machine, Dan? You've made me proud, sir. Thank you very much. I tried. I love robots. You know this too, Dan. I love robots. <laughs> Dan. Yes, sir. If you're not listening to Joe Stark's podcast and kissing his ass, where where else can people find you? <laughs> That's all I want to do for the rest of my life now. No, I'm just kidding. You can check us out at the easy way is just go to www.heroesofnoise.com. Um, that's the name of the show. I have my co-host Steve with me, and uh, we basically just talk about anything that comes up. Most of the time, it's just whatever comes up. We do some movie reviews. We talk about a lot of music, and um, we like it. We think it's fun. We think you will, too. So come check us out, please. All right, guys. You know, uh, you know what? We'll be back next week with, uh, with, 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 with more episodes. But I, Jake, I, I, I think, I think it'll, it'll be a game time decision, but I think after Loki season two, episode one, we might come back with another bonus episode for this one. Yeah, that'd be amazing. I, I think, I mean, we gave lesser shows round tables and, and bonus episodes. So yeah, I think there's definitely more to talk about here. All right, guys. Thank you for joining us on uh, this fucking epic adventure of Loki season one. And hats off to Michael Waldron and Kate Heron for just, uh, 
I don't know. I didn't think you could do. I don't. I didn't think they could do anything cooler with fucking Loki, and they and they fucking did. And this was just this lived up to every expectation that I ever wanted for the character. All right, guys, that's all I got. We'll see you next time. See ya. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Leftovers. Congratulations. I don't know how you did it. I couldn't do it. You people need a T-shirt saying, I just listened to two hours of nonsensical crap. Anyway, if you'd like to reach the Pop Culture Leftovers cast, you can email them at comments at popcultureleftovers.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at PC Leftovers or like their Facebook page. They'd love to hear from you. They're all pretty sad and lonely. One of them is homeless, but I didn't say that. There's already like 7 million podcasts talking about pop culture and all that. Makes us happy like shooting at a womp rat. But it's all been done before. And we don't want to be a copycat. We're the leftovers picking up the scraps. Dropped by the cool kids. It, it, it's a trap. Good it, toss it, good it, taste it. Do we love it? Hey, let's fix it, clean erase it. Let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture. Carry over, counterculture push over. Pop culture. Leftovers. Uncool kids. What's to say's already been said. Leftovers. Pretty sure that the only talent is the band that's singing this. Pop culture leftovers. Podcast that original and good. Have already been done before, so we should separate the wheat from the shaft. And we're the shaft, the crap, even though we're the shit. Woo! We're the leftovers picking up the scraps, dropped by the cool kids. It, it, it's a trap. Good and toss it, good and taste it. Do we love it? Hey, let's fix it, can't erase it. Let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture carryover. Counterculture pushed over top culture. Leftovers. And with the uncool kids. What's to say's already been said Leftovers Pretty sure that the only talent Is the band that's singing this Pop culture leftovers Do we love it? Hey, let's face it, can't erase it, let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture, carry over, counterculture, pushovers, pop culture. Leftovers. And with the uncool kids, what's to say's already been said. Leftovers. Pretty sure that the only talent is the band that's singing this. Pop culture leftovers.